Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of the spirit for they are foolishness to them and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. sermon series about the widow, the orphan, the stranger, those who are vulnerable. And it would seem like this is kind of an odd passage to use to talk about those things, except that probably the most difficult question we have as Christians is, who do we help? How do we help? How do we respond? What are we supposed to do? We always have this lack of clarity about whether we should help someone or some situation or not. Uh, I know we've all had the experience of being taken advantage of for our uh, kindness, generosity, willingness to help. Uh, you know, eight or ten years ago, a bunch of us from uh, the office, the seminary, went out to lunch, and we went to Iron Star on 36th Street. And on the way in, there was a, a car parked, and I noticed two cute little dogs, as I am wont to do, that, well, look, little cute dogs. And the lady in the car says, excuse me, uh, I live in Tulsa, I've been down to visit my grandma in the hospital, and I need some gas money. Well, probably because I like the dogs, I said, okay, yeah, I'll help you out, and I gave her a little bit of money. Well, we didn't go back to Iron Star for about six months, and six months later, as we're walking in, there's these cute little dogs in a car with a lady who says, excuse me, I need some help. And I said, you scam artist, I gave you money for your grandma six months ago. And she says, well, now my grandma died. And then she turned on the car and the wheels squealed and smoke came out as she raced on out of there because I had caught her. You know, the problem is we say this thing, uh, um, uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right? I mean, we want to help, but we don't want to be taken advantage of. You see, what we need is something of the wisdom of God. What we need is kind of a God's eye view. We need to be able to discern what, what Jesus would do. How would he respond? And this is Paul's phrase, the mind of Christ. 
We want to take on the mind of Christ, which is our way of discerning. Remember Paul also in Philippians chapter 2 in that hymn there says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So for Paul, this idea of the mind of Christ is really important. But if we really want to understand what he means, we're going to have to take a bigger look at 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry to say. And, you know, I, I stopped and I asked the question about Jesus. Who did he help? Who did he say, you scam artist, to? And I, I just can't find a place where Jesus said, you scam artist, I'm not helping you. You know, uh, 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 you have to imagine that among the 5,000 Jesus was feeding, that there were some of them who really, they didn't care about Jesus, but he still fed them. So, you know, that's a really important point to put out there, is Jesus somehow knew the truth and still helped people. But in any case, when we come to 1 Corinthians, you know Paul is always writing to the church about a certain problem that is present in that congregation. And here in 1 Corinthians, although there's this section about moral lapses from chapter 5 to 11 or so, it's not the real problem Paul's concerned with. What Paul begins this letter with is saying, you have this problem of factions, rivalries, divisions in the body of Christ in that church in Corinth. Paul uses the word here in Greek, schismata, and doesn't that sound to us like schism, our English word? The problem in the church of Corinth that Paul is really concerned about is divisions, is schisms, is people who are saying, oh, don't listen to Paul. Hey, look at me. I'm really charismatic. I'm a great preacher. Hey, I know the truth. Come on, do what I think we should do. The problem in that church is that people are fighting one another. I know it sounds like something we have going on in the vicinity today, a denomination where people are doing exactly that. And Paul is going to point these factions, these divisions, to the message of the cross. Paul is going to say the message of the cross, well, let me stop here and say, for Paul, it's not so much this idea Jesus died for my sins. Did you know that kind of understanding really didn't even begin till about the 16th century and really became prominent in the 19th and 20th century? Paul, in the first century, would have thought differently. Paul would have thought, as would of the rest of the people, first about community and what communities expected. They would have understood that Christ died for all. They're thinking about the community, not personal sins. So when Paul points toward the message of the cross, he's not saying your personal sins are forgiven. He's saying this. The cross is a message of God's reconciliation of the whole of the universe. 
You human beings, you break things apart, you divide, you argue with one another, you say not this way, that way. And the message of the cross that is, says that in Jesus Christ, things are reconciled. In Jesus Christ, there is unity. In Jesus Christ, there is a different way than the way that the world does things. The message of the cross is foolishness to a world that thinks that I have to come out on top. The message of the cross is that we only come out on top when we are all together. Look at that cross. Now, I know you at home, you have to pull out your personal cross. But if you all take a look at this cross, there's a vertical plank. That vertical plank connects heaven and earth, God and human beings. If you look at the horizontal plank, it's really connecting people to people horizontally. And we might even say not just people to people, it's co connecting all of God's created world because God loves the oceans and the mountains just as much as God loves the people. They are all God's creations. And right in the center where Jesus Christ hangs is that point of reconciliation, that point of unity. The message of the cross, Paul is always going to say, is about bringing things together. The message of the cross is God's reconciliation of the universe. Now, you know, there's something interesting about what we human beings do. Uh, there was a, an African-American scholar in the 20th century who wrote that the problem of the 20th century, and he called it the color line. What he meant is that human beings are always drawing lines in the sand. Black people there, white people here. And we white people, we want to be in charge. Men here who are strong, women here who are weak, and the strong are supposed to be in charge. And Paul's thing is, these drawing of lines, this is the way of the world, because in that cross of reconciliation, there is not Jew or Greek, male or female, rich or poor, we are all one in Jesus Christ. The way of the world is to divide. The way of the world is to say, I'm right. The way of the world is to be a number one, top of the heap, New York, New York, whatever, however that goes. I don't know. But you get the point. The world is always the place where people are saying, I need to be in control, on top, and dictate to the rest of you. And Jesus, in his cross, says, I empty myself. I humble myself. They tell me, prove that you are on top of the heap. Prove that you're the king. And I just let myself be killed. Because I will not create divisions. My job is to reconcile the world. Now there's a second thing, wait, let me finish by saying, in that reconciliation, all those lines that we draw, all those lines are brought together again and made whole in the cross. 
they come together in the cross. It's a visual message that Paul is saying. It is a message of reconciliation. It's a message of God's love for all who are sinful and all who are offered forgiveness. Now, the other thing that Paul says beyond this idea of don't act like, you know, the world and don't try and create these divisions and fight each other, which is not the mind of Christ, because the mind of Christ is a mind in which there's reconciliation. He then puts forth this thing about those who are spiritual and those who are unspiritual. And half the time when we look at this, we think he's talking about Christians and non-Christians, but not at all. Paul is saying there are spiritual Christians and there are unspiritual Christians. And I think we flow in and out of that, to be honest. But the spiritual, the pneumatikos in Greek, are the people of the spirit. They are the people who, like Jesus on the cross, empty themselves, empty my way, my this, my that, I've got to prove, I've got to be on top. They empty and humble themselves to be a servant, to be open, to receive God's spirit. You know we have to get ourselves out of the way half the time to allow the spirit of God to dwell within us and to work within us. The spirit people spiritual here from God but on the other hand he talks about the psychitos the unspiritual and these are people who claim to follow Christ and their problem is that this word psyche psychitos they are people of of who are animated okay I'm animated but, but in a sense of people who are stirred up. People who have, let me use this word, animus. That word we use, animus, it means, first of all, the idea that we have intentions. We may have, I really don't like you. We, we may even have hatred. There is this ill will that is part of that kind of human desire. I, I want to be better than you. And there's also this meaning of animus that is about motivations to achieve something. Put that together and what you have is a group of people with wrong motivations. They're not motivated by the love of God in Jesus Christ. They are motivated by their own desires and their own what they want, even to the point that they're willing to fragment the body of Christ. Paul is clear that if we wish to take on the mind of Christ, we have to, first of all, understand the message of reconciliation. Sounds like foolishness, but that's the message, he says. And we have to understand that to be spiritual is to let go of our stuff and let God be the one who directs our lives, to be open to the Spirit and the Spirit blows where it will. Now, before we're finished, 
I really do have to point to where Paul ends up because we don't understand the mind of Christ unless we see what he's doing in chapters 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians because you know chapter 12 is that place where he talks about spiritual gifts. And the point of that is no doubt these factions are saying, oh, I'm more spiritual than you are. They're saying, I'm holier than you are. My way is holy and spiritual. Yours is not. Sounds familiar. And the point here is that Paul says, you know what? Every one of those spiritual gifts is equally as important as the other. It is not more important to have someone up here on Sunday who's preaching the word than it, than it is to have George during the week fixing the pump in the bowels of our basement. It, it's not more important to, to have uh, Judy on the piano than it is to have uh, David and to have Regina in the kitchen doing cooking up mobile meals and then, and then Donna off there driving it around. The body of Christ needs every gift. No one is more important than the other. That's Paul's point here. And even if you are watching at home and homebound, the gift of prayer, the gift of calling someone else with encouragement, the body of Christ needs you. But then Paul finishes by saying this. Oh, but let me show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is the way of love. Paul says if you want to take on the mind of Christ, it's not just that you've got to see reconciliation. It's not just that you need to be open to the Spirit, but the very essence of the mind of Christ as God is love is that we are filled with love and pour love out in the world. And that love, Paul is clear, it's patient, it's kind. It does not insist on its own way. It's not rude. It's not boastful. Those are not the mind of Christ. Those are not the way of love. You know, when I think about my encounter with the lady at Iron Star, it occurs to me today that I probably didn't have the mind of Christ. Because if I had, I probably would have said to that lady, you know, I've given you some money before, but eh, I'll give you some more. But you know what? Can I pray with you? Can I know something else about you? Can I maybe work to reconcile you to God and others, to know the God that I know who is a God of love and loves you, even if you're scamming people? You see, taking on the mind of Christ just puts us in a place that is different from the way the world operates. It's about coming together. It's about emptying ourselves. And yes, most of all, the way of the cross, the way of Jesus Christ, and the mind of Jesus Christ is about love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.